Bluetooth audio. Bluetooth audio. I command you to connect. Is that correct? No. Tell it. Bluetooth audio. Please. I didn't understand you. Please try again. Please say a command. Help or cancel. Duh. You're canceled. <laughs> You're canceled. <laughs> Bluetooth audio. Confirm the command. What command? Bluetooth audio. <laughs> so yes. Confirm or no to start over. Uh, yes? Yes. Line in. I don't know. Turn on you, bitch. Line in. Please say a command. Bluetooth audio. Bluetooth audio. Can she get dumber the older my car gets? Is that what's going on? Yeah, that's good. Everybody can hear. Hello? Alright, good. Okay, without further ado, James David Osborne. Hi everybody. It's really nice to see everybody. Thanks again for Eric for inviting me out here. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm working on a book right now because I became obsessed with a video game called Death Stranding. It's about a guy in a post-apocalyptic world where people are too afraid to go outside uh, carrying a baby from place to place to deliver packages, right? And what's interesting about that to me is that my wife gave birth nine months ago and I've been a stay-at-home dad that whole time. So like the, the image of a guy who is in a world where people aren't really feeling connected but he has to live with a baby really resonated with me. The etymology of the word strand reveals two separate lineages that came together in the same pronunciation. The Old English strand, which means seashore, and a derivation on streno, which is Old German for a lock of hair. Or maybe it's French or Dutch. The etymologists are unclear on this. The word presents several contradictory definitions. To be stranded is to be stuck, trapped, specifically on a beach. It first came to mean that in 1620 or so, but a strand is also a tenuous connecting thread. You link things together with strands. Where these two words come together is in the concept of a between place. Whether that's a good thing or not depends on the context. Junji Ito is a favorite artist of mine. He's known for works like Uzumaki and Tomie. At one point, he'd been hired to design the monsters for a game called Silent Hill. But his best work, for my money, is a short story called The Enigma at Amigara Fault. In the story, an earthquake exposes a cliff face that is dotted with human-sized holes. Imagine the little man symbol that's on a restroom. These holes call to people, and it gets them to climb the cliff face, searching for the hole that fits their body exactly. These people walk into the holes never to return. You can't back out of them because of these ridges that keep you moving forward but never backwards. The story is shot through with existential dread, the feeling that no matter how hard you try, you can't avoid your fate. If you find your pocket, you're going to enter it, and no one can stop you, even you. By the end of the story, someone has made it all the way through their personal tunnel. The gross-out shocker is that they're all twisted up, an eyeball up here on a stalk, legs splayed out, torso in S-shape. Their time in the cliff has turned them into a monster. I like this story because it's true. We're all moving towards our destiny no matter how hard we try to avoid it. And we do come out unrecognizable on the other end. Monster is kind of a harsh word, but we're different, all the same. And that's the fear that this story is playing on, that you aren't really you, and you can never remain you, ever. I think it's beautiful, especially if you don't care about looking a little fucked up at the end of it. My tunnel came to me. I cut through an umbilical cord and there I was. The hospital room made to look up like a hotel, that making the whole thing worse, especially that prison bathroom where I had to hold my wife's IV bags while she shivered on the toilet. Harsh light, and I could see my son's slick black hair as he crowned. Rios had nearly run out of gas. She couldn't push anymore after 32 hours. On all fours, standing up, they tried every way they could to get the boy to come out. 
but he was comfortable. The time came though, and luckily they didn't have to do a C-section, and he came into the world and I went completely numb, overwhelmed. That was my son. And I could tell because he looked just like me. He pooped on his mother's chest and a nurse handed me these big scissors, and so I cut through it, and that was that. No turning back. I decided to embrace whatever strange shape this tunnel twisted me into. In the Death Stranding universe, the umbilical cord is an act of mimesis, first appearing on a dinosaur. The platonic cord is one that connects the dead to the world of the living, and to have a creature born into this world with its imitation cord signaled the appearance of an extinction entity. For a game concerned with connection, it's no surprise that umbilical cords feature so prominently. There's the tube that connects your baby to your chest, and there are cords that link the, the ghosts to our world. And there are the invisible cords that connect the various outposts of post-apocalyptic America. It's your job to link them up. You're a hybrid delivery man slash cable guy, setting out on foot or by bike or truck or exoskeleton to a desolate world to connect preppers and scientists to a grid. I keep using the word cord, but really need to go back to the word strand. The creator of the game never elaborated on what a strand game actually is, but in a magazine called Kotaku, the author pins down three major elements of a strand game, nurturing, transportation, and physicality. A strand game is about being in relation to your environment. You nurture the child strapped to your chest, you care for the packages you take from point A to point B, and you do so by traversing a hostile landscape. You take shelter from the rain, you trudge up a mountain in the snow, you leave ladders for other players to find. You succeed at the game by understanding and respecting your environment. In most video games, your surroundings are just backdrops. In Death Set Stranding, your surroundings are everything. This is a quote from Donna Haraway from a book called Staying with the Trouble. Cthulhu seen as a simple word. It is a compound of two Greek roots that together name a kind of time place for learning to stay with the trouble of living and dying in responsibility on a damaged earth. Kainos means now, a time of beginnings, a time for ongoing, for freshness. Nothing in Kainos must mean conventional pasts, presents, or futures. There is nothing in times of beginnings that insists on wiping out what has come before, or indeed, wiping out what comes after. Kainos can be full of inheritances, of remembering, and full of comings and of nurturing what might still be. The work of Charles Eisenstein has a key thesis. The act of fighting a thing you hate creates the conditions for the things you hate. War thinking exacerbates problems. Think of the war on drugs. You've seen how it worked. Uh, never mind. <laughs> it's about to get too controversial. Uh, da, 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 da. But anyway, you have two sides pitted against each other, and if we could only get them to come to our side, we would have the collective inertia to make something happen. The problem with this, of course, is that you won't get everyone over to your side. Instead, you'll end up fighting to your last breath, and the world won't be changed at all. As Bayo Okomalafe says, what if how we approach the problem is part of the problem? The spirit of conflict has one end goal, the same as anything else in the universe, and that is to perpetuate itself. 
Similarly, non-action also desires to replicate. The key is finding a way to balance these two, the same as anything else in life. There's a time for war and a time for peace, and right now, everyone is in war mode all the time. It's not that you should never put a shoe on someone, but a matter of being out of alignment with the world. It's about too many shoes. It's about picking your battles. And it's about knowing when enough is enough. This isn't about running from violence. It will come for you eventually. There is a time to every purpose under heaven. Twelve. I am a stay-at-home father. My days are routine. The boy wakes up at six. He crawls over to me and punches my face until I wake up. I fix him a bottle while his mother gets ready for work. Soon it won't even be bottles anymore, but those fruit pouches he can squeeze on his own to get apples and sweet potatoes or purple carrots and kale. His mother leaves and I make myself a coffee. I put the boy on the rug in the living room and turn on a few of his, uh, turn on a few of his toys. He'll play with them long enough for me to get my head on straight. I'm a heavy sleeper and I've spent the night on the M.C. Escher upside-down staircase highway, I have to re-enter the atmosphere. After that, it's changing the diapers, practicing his walk across the floor, Sesame Street, reading, and then a nap. I get to work on whatever project I have at the time. Uh, right now, it's a no I'm a novel editor, so I spend a little time in a world of army rangers or human-chimp hybrids, and then he wakes up. More bottle, a walk outside, swinging in the park, investigating the grass and trees, Finally, my favorite part, chilling on the bed. He likes Finding Nemo or live-streamed aquariums on YouTube. That's just the schedule. There's the rocking, the dealing with his mood, soothing him when he cries, and if he's in a bad mood, never being able to leave his sight. It makes me feel tired, but I find that the best advice for this kind of fatigue is don't be a little bitch. He's my guide, and I was one half of the decision to bring him into this world. The way I see it, I don't get to be tired, even though I'm 35 and my back has really started to hurt. So I played this game and there's this avatar, a man all alone in the world, carrying a child, bad weather and good. He represented my idealized version of myself, a tough man who wouldn't quit no matter how wet and cold and beaten up he was. A few minutes rest and it's back to the grind. Rios got me a little made in China baby from Etsy. It sits on my desk with my 3D printed Hermanibus two little psychopomps to guide me through my artistic endeavors, a reminder of this game that helped me face the biggest challenge of my life. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. We're take a break, and up next is going to be Ray of Sunshine. So we're supposed to get snow tomorrow, but, and Rios, you know, this has been one of the things that we argue about a lot. We don't really argue, it's just some, it's kind of like one of those I told you so moments, but she has a job that's 25 miles away, and it's a good job, but it's not 25 miles away good, and uh, so tomorrow, the snow's supposed to come in at noon, and she doesn't like driving on the snow and the ice, and she's like, what should I do? Should I call in? I'm like, Psh. I mean, if you want to, but this is why you're supposed to listen to me. Because I've been saying, like, just get a job that's closer to home. You don't have to drive 25 miles to work every day. That shit is crazy. But nobody listens to me. So I'm, I'm actually at that old man point where, like, I've come out the other side. Whether it's Twitter, my wife, 
my son. I'm just like, I, I recognize 100% that nobody listens to me, but I'm cool with it. And you just write all the time. Yep. And nobody listens. Then that must be how God feels. <laughs> that must be. That's exactly how God feels. I think I'm right, actually. If I was being realistic, I'm right between 75 and 80% of the time. I'm, I'm right. I'm right more often than I'm wrong. I'm wrong about dumb shit. You know what I mean? Like, I'll get, like, a stupid fact wrong, and haters and losers will, you know, like, ah, oh, look at this fucking idiot. He didn't even know that... He didn't even know that the government has three branches. Fucking dumbass. But like, I know so much. I know, I know so much more. So much esoteric knowledge. He 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 doesn't even know where the where the prostate is located. He's, he's been like put putting his penis between his boyfriend's butt cheeks. Like you, you got to go deeper, bro. Speaking of penis in the butt cheeks, I saw that tweet. I forget who did it. It was a great tweet where a guy like had a hot dog bun and he put a banana in it and then put pe- <laughs> yeah. peanut butter and jelly. I saw that shit. I was like, that's not a bad idea. That's pretty smart. <laughs> it's one of those things that like looks, uh, but um, actually. I was looking at that for a second and was you like, "You know that, that shit tastes good. You know that, that shit probably tastes, tastes good. really good, especially if you like toast it or something." Yeah. All right. We're about to hear. My son just took a shit, so about to hear changing here. He hates being changed. <laughs> he fucking hates it. I don't get why he hates it either. It's like. Do you like having poop in your face? Yeah, see, Rowan was always the best about, like, um, being changed. And now that he's a... Bro! (laughs) Dude, I'm just changing your diaper. Hold on. You you got got Dookie on your balls. Actually, this one's not that bad. It's just a little muddy. We're going through all this heartache for a tiny little nugget. Oh, Listen to him tell me that he's telling me how much he hates me right now. He's like using every word that he knows. Oh, I heard that. He, he's he's what? Uh, so this is February now. Yep. So he's about to be ten months. He's going to be 10 months in about, uh, about three weeks. So, he, yeah, he's pretty solidly in the nine-month category. And he's already calling you hard yeah. I, didn't teach, I didn't teach Rowan the N-word until he was, like, walking. <laughs> I was like, eh, I think it's time, though. Yeah, he's going to learn it anyway. I wonder what happens when he's going to learn that they're, like... Well, I guess kids always have a concept of bad words, right? Like, you're not supposed to say bad words. But I don't really... Rios and I, neither of us are really going to give a shit about bad words. It's, you know, it's really weird that you brought that up, because Rios and I had that conversation last night when we were eating dinner. I'm like, what do we let him say? And I was like, anything, I guess? And then I was like, well, we should probably warn him about the N-word. And she was, like, joking around. She's like, what's the N-word? And I was like, you know, she's like, don't you do it. She's like, don't you say it. And I was like, you know, but 
And she's like, I'm gonna call. She like threatens to call my black friends and tell them that I that I said fucked up shit. But which wouldn't really work for you because your black friends all love love it when you say it. Yeah, yeah. It, I was. I mean. <laughs> Maybe I won't name, <laughs> but a friend and I were, uh, yeah, having a lot of fun saying that word back and forth. Um, yeah. And I did, I, I did tell him I was like, it'd be funny if somebody walked up on us, like another black person who doesn't know me, walked right. up on us, and it's just like, are you the biggest pussy? You're not gonna check this white boy, or right. what the fuck does this white boy have on you? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah gotta be some kind of but uh, well now we have the we changed the diaper successfully which is good but this dude the thing about my son who I'm carrying in my arms right now who I love very much is um he just I give him everything you know so he's on his way to being nine months old and he's already spoiled but no he's what they call an uh, like an up baby uh, he doesn't like to be put down, left alone. I see pictures online of people and they're like, look at my, look at my beautiful baby and it's playing in a pack and play peacefully. Like, you want to hear what happens if I try to put this kid in a pack and play? Here, I'm going to give you an example. Let's test this out. There's <laughs> Gus Watch noise this. sampler. Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> Off real. Uh, Thought I was playing. I'm not playing. It's <laughs> it's just a thing. <laughs> oh boy, but ah, whatever. What are you gonna do? According to the internet, he he'll grow out of it, and uh, it's really. I'm tired now. I'm tired of fighting. I used to try to fight. I think like, no, I'm gonna put you in the fucking pack and play. And you're gonna you're gonna lay there and you're gonna get used to it. And he was like, Oh yeah, is that what you think is? What you think is gonna happen? Hmm. We'll have to see. I um. I firmly believe that all the like difficulty at a very early age is just a sign of intelligence. Yeah. They're like, I'm not gonna sit in this gay ass pack and play. Like, what? Do you, what the hell am I gonna do in here? Right. Like, yeah. I can't figure out numbers in here. I can't like. Mm-hmm. Like, bro, I I need to pace the room and like get my get my brain going. And, that's right. Interact with shit. Get my motor skills up. That's right. Well, I know. Yeah, I know that he's very, he's very smart, um, and it's interesting to see him develop and start to have facial expressions and say words. And pretty soon he'll be walking. Lucas, uh, Lucas sent a picture of his little girl uh, standing on her own, and mm-hmm. one part of one part of my brain was like that is fucking that's amazing that's beautiful and the other half was like challenge accepted motherfucker <laughs> yeah cause she's only like a she's like 11 mo- 11 months okay so kind of a couple months older yeah she was like she was like two months when Gus was born so that's how I always that's how I think of it how many teeth does he have zero really yeah this fool has no teeth damn Roman started teething when he was like I was thinking about this the other day and I asked Erica I was like when when did he really start teething because a lot of my next uh, a lot of letting out the devils is about like uh, having a, a an infant right and 
So there's a lot of stuff I started writing and taking notes of when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And I was like, when did he really, like, really start cutting teeth? She was like, that fool started cutting teeth when he was, like, three months old. Right. Like, and that's what I, I thought that was going to happen with uh, Gus. Because at four months, he started drooling a lot. His gums got hard. Uh, you know, all the signs were there. But, like, not a single tooth has popped out. So he's just, I don't know. I hear that that's a sign of true intelligence as well. I'm just going to say everything that my son does is a sign of intelligence. <laughs> like he he yeah. hates eating vegetables. That just means he's smart. Yeah, yeah, that just means he knows there's some kind of fucked up chemical shit in there that's going to turn him gay or something. Exactly. He's just like, no, give me a well, steak, what, motherfucker. You know what's funny about this is he, he just wants to be carried right now. And I just realized I dropped Rios off at work. So we're on one of those cursed days where he fell asleep in the car and only slept for like 20 minutes. So now he, he thinks he's up from a nap. He thinks that he's like gotten his nap in, but he, he hasn't. So we actually picked the perfect time to record where he's like a he's like a live wire that refuses to be put down. Dude, and the thing is, is like, I, I'm really anti being a pussy about kid stuff. But if I could be a pussy for just like 10 seconds, Carrying a 21-pound thing that is wriggling and pushing against you all day is fucking exhausting. It's just like, yeah. it, t- it takes everything out of you, dude. So I'm just like, God, I, I, gotta, I gotta put you down, dude. Like, I gotta put you down. I gotta go, I gotta go vape. I'm, I'm like nicotine depleted. My arms hurt. You're screaming in my face. It's a lot. Yeah, I started getting him into working out because, you know, you always see people, like, joking about, like, uh, oh, I'm trying to exercise with the baby, and they're just, like, using the baby as weights. I was like, that's not a bad idea, actually, because it's a lot of resistance. It's not a lot of weight, but it's, like, awkwardly distributed weight, plus it's moving. So, like, a 20-pound baby is worse than, like, benching 100 yeah yeah and the whole thing too is like if you want to get jacked you don't have to lift super heavy weights you lift super heavy weights to get strong but like with uh trying to get buff it's actually just like 90 percent your diet you just have to eat a lot of food which i do not do which is why i'm in fucking terrible shape now even though i'm probably stronger than when i was going to the gym i uh you wouldn't be able to tell. But now I kind of have one of those cool, like, dad bodies where I got, like, a little bit of a gut and just, like, thick, ropey, veiny forearms, you know? Uh, so <laughs> just like a little, like a little pill bug. Yeah, these veins go crazy, but I got the washboard abs back. I've got... Go! Actually, my, my abs are bigger than they've ever been. I've been doing yeah. a lot of... Abs are uh, fucking gay, dude. Abs are yeah. the gayest muscle of all time. It's like... I don't know. Does Erica like them? Yeah. Yeah, she does. Oh, then I guess they're not that gay. Yeah, but she likes the... My wife likes my gay abs. It's <laughs> 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 like, whatever. You know, you, sometimes you gotta do some gay shit to keep your wife happy. That's right. But, uh... Yeah. Yeah, man, parenthood is fucking crazy, dude. Like, nothing could have prepared me for this. And I went, I did that, I did this reading um, on Saturday. And it was fu- It was so funny, man, because, like, 
everybody there, like a lot of people there were like in masks and people there were just like, oh, I'm just getting over COVID. I just had COVID for a week. I thought I was going to die. <clears throat> and I'm like, you thought you were going to die? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, to, dude. Like, I think I'm going to die every time I get sick, but... That's man I mean, flu. That's just, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. just being a dude and getting sick. Yeah, my buddy yeah. was texting me because he has, like, a tummy bug. But he keeps, like, having diarrhea. He's like, he's like... We should probably bleep his name because I'm talking about how he has diarrhea. But, like... <laughs> He, Watch he me like, fuck up. Watch me like, fuck up and just bleep diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> he texted me. He's like, he's like, I feel like death, bro, bro. He's like, I'm going to the hospital. I'm gonna die. And he like took all these COVID tests. He doesn't have COVID or anything. It's just like he got food poisoning or something. He's like, no, I've had food poisoning before, and this is not food poisoning. This is something else. I'm like, nah, it's probably probably food poisoning, dude. Because there's, there's yeah, levels yeah. to that shit. Food poisoning but, is pretty bad yeah but like so you know i'm at this reading and i'm just surrounded by these people who are like yeah i was like seven days i was sick and it was a different symptom every day and i don't know man i just got like that eastern european cynical uh blood in me i just i always think people are lying about shit always like unless a person is my friend i assume they're full of shit um so I was just looking at that and like, I'm like, I know I've seen on online and I've heard from people like what Omicron is all about and it's a cold, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, but people don't realize, I think like how much their, their mental state plays into it. And I wonder like if you've been terrified of something for two years and then you actually get sick, if you think like, oh fuck, this is it. And you actually make it worse by being stressed out about it. Oh, 100%. It's like that high. It's like when you're like, uh, uh, people have never smoked or done drugs or whatever, and like you get them, you, you're the bad influence friend, and they're like, oh my god, oh my god, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. Everybody's gonna find out. I'm gonna go to jail, and I'm gonna have a heart attack, and it, it's like, bro, chill the fuck out. Yeah. Dude, I gotta put you down, man. I don't know what to tell He's like, I'm trying to put him in his playset thing, and he's like got his legs splayed out to like keep himself from being put into it. Like, I'm gonna be straight up with you. I'm not carrying you for an hour and a half, dude. That shit ain't happening. Watch this fucked up weird mushroom show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. T TV actually uh, is kind of a good thing for kids. It is. I read online. I was like, never show your kid TV. And I'm just like, well, you know, if I was living in a society where, like, the village raised the child and there was some old woman who I could drop my son off with for an hour so that I could, I don't know, do the dishes, maybe get a little bit of work done, then, yeah, we wouldn't turn the TV on. But yesterday we didn't watch hardly any TV. <clears throat> and um, like I said, man, if you don't have kids you don't know but you just you get worn out like you're just tired and you're basically mm -hmm. like i don't know what you're gonna do as a nine month old to entertain yourself but your daddy is spent completely spent so you just gotta figure this shit out boy yeah and not uh 
I, I really like what Sean had to say when he came on talking about the Gen X, like hyping, hyping up Gen X a lot because they really did have their shit together. And like my parents, they, n- they never gave a shit about anything. I think all the time, like, how do I raise this kid to be like me because I turned out awesome? And I'm like, you know, my kid, my, uh, my parents, they just didn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you're going to spend all day playing video game? That's cool. Because mm-hmm. tomorrow you'll spend all day riding your bike around town and shit. They're like, we don't care. Yeah. yeah, that's the kind we're, of energy. We're busy working to, and shit. Yeah, that's the kind of energy that I'm trying to take with this kid, you know, because my mom was telling me that as a, because she's a teacher, she's like, you know, by the time they're five, they're supposed to have read something like a thousand books or something like that. And I'm Jesus like, oh. Christ. But I mean, but but check it out. I mean, five five years, three sixty five. Like that's less than a book a day. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I feel like we're probably in nine months. We're coming up on maybe two hundred, three hundred. Cause like repeat, right? Like not not individual books, but like repeat books. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's yeah. like if that's the goal, then I mean that's fine. And he's got a mom and a dad who are fucking right, both writers, poor guy. I mean, he's, he'll, he'll be fine. His interests will be, you know, he's not going to be one of these fucking little zombie kids on a tablet. That shit ain't going down. I'm not doing a tablet. That's, that's my line. Yeah, Rowan's into making up stories. He'll be, I'll try to read to him, and he'll yank the book out of my hands and start flipping through pages, and he goes... It gets me thinking about writing a lot, the way that he interacts with uh, with books. Because he'll go to like the middle, and then he'll flip back a couple pages, and then he'll go to the end, and he'll be making up, like he'll be blabbering on, making shit up, pointing at the pictures, and making up his own story about it or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I ain't gonna stop you. <laughs> That's awesome, experience, though. Experience it how you want to. <laughs> yeah, making shit up is... Uh, the the thing that humans do we basically we make trash and we make shit up that's that's the two products of human beings and everything else is just kind of a myth that we have to justify making shit up and creating trash because human beings make habitat through creating garbage um the same way that a bird builds a nest a beaver builds a dam we make landfills and so Mm -hmm. in a way environmentalists have everything backwards because the landfill is the ultimate expression of humanity yep that's the uh that's that's our magnum opus that's our masterpiece it is you ever look at a landfill and think god it's kind of it's kind of pretty in its own way and it's sad you know it's a bunch of old shit like from usually i'd have to assume if you if you got deep enough into a landfill from mostly dead people right so, oh, quit with the fake coughing. He does this. He's like, ah, 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 ah. yeah, yeah. Landfills are wild. They're like their own little uh, dimension, their own little world. Cause like around here, any kind of um, like scrapyard or landfill, like it's it's all, and it's probably true for all of them. But like, it's behind enormous. Uh, uh, fence so you can't see it until you go inside so you're like entering this other dimension of just mountains of trash 
carrying him over my shoulder like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> he is a sack of potatoes. He is a, a sack of potato potatoes. eater. Yeah, he's um. Oh boy, he's pushing. I'm starting to get a fucking cluster headache too. That shit sucks. <sighs> but it yeah. That's so this recent his fault. It is. So th this uh. But this reading was cool, you know, I got to see my friends, this crazy Estonian performance art group called Non Grata was performing in remembrance of a guy named Peter Alec, the premier lino-cut print artist of Estonia, of whom there can only be one, as they've said before. Uh, and uh, my buddy Danny was there, Danny's an ex-marine. And he went to Estonia with Non Grata to do performances and shit. And he has all these stories about living with these semi-feral, uh, crazy artist people, like, in the woods. And uh, he talked about how when, when they party over there, they drink ether. Like, they just straight up drink ether. Oh, okay. What they, <laughs> yeah. What they do is they, they get a bottle cap of ether, and they shoot it, and then they drink, like, an eight-ounce glass of water. And he was telling me how the leader of this group likes to push people and like just fuck with them. And so for Danny, he gave him like a he gave him two bottle caps and like a tiny little bit of water. And Danny was like, it felt like a like a freight train was coming out of my chest. It was like it was the craziest shit I've ever done. And he just like fell out and his legs didn't work anymore. And I was just like, you know, when when you put it like that. And, you know, I quit drinking a year ago, and my whole thing is like, I used to drink a 12-pack of Michelob Ultra every night. And you hear about <laughs> motherfuckers, like, drinking ether, and you're like, oh, Americans are fucking pussies, dude. We're just enormous <laughs> pussies. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, the, uh, the whole Russian thing of just waking up with a bottle of vodka and, like, going about your day being a badass. Mm-hmm. And and we're over here like, oh, I'm so I'm so tired. I'm we could really drinking we, a we, couple beers. <laughs> yeah, we really could learn something from like that kind of stoicism. You know what I mean? Like just just the basic idea of, of not complaining about shit, but just kind of like dealing with it, buddy. I'm taking your shirt off. So like anybody who's listening at home, my son is not normally this whiny. But like it's Tuesday, um, so anyway, he's normally normal, uh, but he he did that fucking twenty minute nap thing, and so now he's just being a little crazy man. But dude, on a different note, but still on the baby note, like I'm gonna talk about feelings. But you ever oh, just feelings. look at you? You ever just look at your kid and be like, God damn. I love this dude. It's like it's yeah. a crazy it's a crazy feeling. Cuz you're like you drive me insane, but like sometimes I just look at him I'm like god damn I love you. It's beautiful. Yeah, the the mood swings are insane. Like mm -hmm. and that's why I'm, I'm really like well just organically like uh this like this book is um has a lot of tonal shifts in it. Yeah, but uh, like to the point where I started being like, this is a bit much, like a little too drastic. And Nonsense. then, uh, 
I was like, nah, no, no, no. Because for one, that's the type of thing I preach all the time. Uh, but two, at the core, it's about having an infant. It's about being a like you know a, a struggling family with a an infant, and that that is how shit goes. Like that's life with an infant. Is <laughs> this these drastic tonal shifts? Because uh, yeah, true, man. I'll be that's I'll true. be ready to smack him against the wall, and then I'm just like. Bro, come here. I love you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, like, the, the levels of frust- frustration and rage that I felt in the past nine months juxtaposed with these extreme levels of deep connection and love that I didn't even... I didn't know either of those polarities were possible before nine months ago. I just had no idea. So it's been like everything's been turned up. Like, the volume on everything is turned up. So, like, I'll just be sitting, like, you know, just hanging out with him. I'll be like, God damn, you're awesome. Like, you rule. Even sometimes when he's crying and, like, smacking my face and shit, I'm like, man, I love you. And then other times I'm just like, dude, go fuck to sleep. Like that uh, that that classic book, the go to fuck to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get that now. I understand that. That one always ended up in the children's section. I used to work at Hastings back when that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did inventory. And uh, that one always ended up in the children's section. Yeah, that's funny. It's just like, that's, that's hilarious. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure where it was supposed to go, to be honest. Like, <laughs> Yeah, where else would it, I guess maybe baby, you know, like the what to expect when you're expecting books. Um, oh yeah yeah the baby books for adults yeah baby books for adults yeah exactly but uh yeah no man this week has been fucking crazy because uh my schedule's so packed with editing work and I, I finished this big you know translated book from hebrew to english that the guy did himself and so that was just like i don't know if i've ever worked on it that book ended up having twenty five thousand corrections in it because I mean, kudos to him, right? Kudos to him for actually translating his own book. But, you know, he's just he just wasn't fluent or isn't fluent in English, so it kind of, you know, it had a lot of mistakes. But also it had a lot of interesting idioms in it that we don't have in English. So, like, uh, you know, if, I'm ta- if I say, hey, man, I want to talk to you one-on-one, in this book, literally translated, it was, uh, I want to talk to you in four eyes. I thought that was pretty tight. Whoa. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, I've always, like... I, I love that shit that pops up. Like that, uh... Like the, the camel passing through the eye of a needle. It's like, mm-hmm. what the fuck does that mean? It was yeah. like... Well, I mean, I guess that would be really difficult, but, like, why would you say that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a metaphor. And you want to know what's really funny is that uh, I read online that in some Middle Eastern country... I don't want to immediately jump and say Israel because this is about money and being rich, right? But I think I think it I think it could have been like Palestine, Israel, something like that. But so they have this passage that says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter heaven. And so what they did was they actually built a little a tiny little arch called the eye of the needle that like a camel could realistically fit through. And they were like, this is what the story is referencing. Huh. So they like, they retconned history to be like, this is the ancient uh, eye of the needle as mentioned in 
in the Bible. Uh, well, I guess that's something that Jesus said, so it probably wouldn't have been Jews that, that did that, right? Because they don't give a fuck what Jesus said anyway. Yeah, and well, and Jesus was always um, referencing like very present day shit and, and mm-hmm. like um, uh, earthly shit. Like mm-hmm. whenever uh, I I got kicked out of a church one time for arguing with the pastor about how he was wrong about hell and all that shit. Because mm-hmm. like uh, whenever Jesus talks about quote unquote hell, which maybe he did but for the most part he was actually it's like a mistranslation they just keep using that word instead of actually translating it correctly Mm -hmm. but he'd be talking about like the gnashing of teeth and whatever which at like a like he was talking about dogs like feral dogs at this Mm -hmm. like he was referencing a specific place like right which a lot of people, I think, forget when they're trying to figure out what the Bible's all about. It would be like people trying to decipher rap lyrics 2,000 years from now. You know what I mean? It's like, what did, what did, uh, like, what did Kanye West mean by this, right? How did he get, how does one get bleach on one's t-shirt from the act of making love, you know? Well, you'd have, yeah. to, you'd, have <laughs> yeah. to, you'd have to understand about, the, the, you know, some practices, some cosmetic practices that we had in, you know, 2015, 14, something like that. <laughs> when did Life of Pablo come out? 16? Was it? Uh, that was at, right after Jesus. Yeah, maybe 15, 15 or 16. Yeah, because I think it was pre, pre-Kanye MAGA, so it would have been, you know, probably before before Trump. But I don't think he was on the Trump train right when Trump was getting elected. I think that came a little bit later. Dude, that that whole shit was just so funny. It was so funny to me that Kanye West was like, actually, you know, Donald Trump is, uh, uh, he's the best uh, president ever. And I, lit- I, don't, I literally don't care one way or the other about politicians. I refuse to. But it was just funny how mad everybody got. Because I've been a long time Kanye West defender like no matter what he did i was always like kanye west is the best you guys suck whatever and so when he did that maga shit people were like see see he's always had this in his heart and i was like oh you guys got me fucked up because i I actually don't give a shit if he likes donald trump or not it it doesn't move the needle for me (laughs) yeah yeah you think this is gonna prove something and i'm just going to say yet again uh kanye rules (laughs) exactly i just ordered my maga hat yeah. And people are going to be like, oh, you're a Trumper now? It's like, no, nah, I'm a Kanye fan. I'm just a Kanye fan. That's it. That's it. Oh, exactly, man. It's, yeah, I don't know. That whole Trump thing just completely destroyed people's brains. We are living in the aftermath of an actual mental apocalypse that people went through. I, I, and I, honestly, honestly, I think that's the worst thing that came out of his presidency is how mm-hmm. just annoying people got. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his presidency overall, like, my life got better while he was president. So, I mean, I, I'm not really sure what metric people are using for what makes a president successful or not. Because, you know, the thing that you hear a lot is that Trump exacerbated latent racist ideology in, like, you know, in, in white people from West Virginia, right? He, he dog-whistled them and allowed them to be as racist as they actually wanted to be. Which is crazy because I've never met a racist who was 
uncomfortable with being racist, most of them that I've met are pretty cool with it. You know, they they're not actually hiding it. Yeah, and, and don't you kind of want that to not be hidden? Like I sure. I thought That's that good was too. good about a lot of like his presidency was like not just in society but in uh, government itself it was like peeling the scab back on right. a lot of things that were just like oh hey let's not blah 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 it's like you, you think Donald Trump came up with the fucking the border camps like that shit's mm-hmm. been there there's yeah. pictures of plenty of your favorite democratic uh, leaders just being like oh yeah what's up little Mexico like, yeah yeah no exactly no that uh i'm definitely not going to say anything that's already been said like a million times before so i i just i guess we can just agree that donald trump is the greatest president of all time and uh if you disagree with that it's because you're actually racist yeah i want to do i want to fill that niche i want to fill that podcast niche of being like a woke trump person you know what I mean? <laughs> and like, actually, the true intersectional president was Donald Trump. I don't think yeah. anybody's tried to thread <laughs> if, that needle yet. If you're anti-Trump, you're racist. There you go. Yeah. It would be it would be new. It would be unique. And if the world has taught us anything, you don't have to be coherent to be successful. You have to be provocative. Uh, uh, hello, Kanye. Yeah, exa- exactly. Maybe that's the problem with this agitated podcast. We might be too coherent. Nah. No, actually, I was just thinking about some of our episodes. We're definitely not coherent. We got We're not coherent at all. Yeah, we got <laughs> yeah. shit down cut. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's funny to me, like, when we get a guest and, you know, and they, um, you know, they'll actually be semi, like, pros and, and, you know, trying to talk about the movie. And we'll be off talking about, like, you know, the best type of cooler to, to buy or something. They'll be like, yeah, and that kind of reminds me of the movie. And you and me are like, all oh, right. <laughs> oh, the movie. <laughs> yeah, so to bring that back to the movie, what movie are you talking about? <laughs> the one that's on the, the the podcast. But um, so yeah, man. Oh, I got off track, but yeah, this is the this is the month that all of us in the in the writers group chat, which is just me, you, and Lucas, are finishing projects this month, and it feels uh, it feels good, man. It feels like. Uh, I w- you know what I was kind of thinking, and this this isn't supposed to be any type of argument because you know you and I are already solid on our plan and kind of what we what we do, right? But we're finishing this book this month, and then my plan is to have Dying World done a few months later. Uh, and it's you know it's kind of all these like small books that we're doing, sell them for like ten bucks, whatever, whatever. And I was thinking about it, and I was on Patreon, and I'm subscribed to this guy Brad Trammell five bucks a month and basically every month Tremel will come out with about a 30 minute video he did one about nfts he did one this this month about the culture war and they're they're nice slick little videos where he kind of i don't always agree with him but you know he kind of he puts things into, into a perspective that i really like he did one on funko pops that was great but anyway so i'm thinking like okay five bucks a month for a 30 minute video on Patreon, and then I was like, wait a minute, how is that different from like, how is that like a better deal than like a book that takes you two hours to read every three months for 10 bucks? 
You see what I mean? Just like doing that calculus real quick about like the time spent. Yeah. It's like the same shit. It's like it's basically we just we just don't have a subscription service. We have uh, you know, books that we release instead of, I don't know, doing something very dumb like blogging. God, man, the blogging um I I will read Eddie Rathke. He has He's a, good, a nice yeah. he has a nice pace and I like like he, it's always interesting the shit that he puts out. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's not too much. I at one point went crazy with the Substack and was subscribing to like anybody who had one basically. Yeah. And man, uh it's down to like just him and uh Paul Jonathan who I came across randomly somehow. I'm not positive what circle he comes out of. Uh but he he writes a lot of uh usually like kind of shit with like an erotic gay aesthetic, but it'll be like intertwined with um uh it it, it reminds me of Mallow's stuff because it's like mm sort of a collage of shit that just Ooh. has this consistent aesthetic Ooh. of like so go from talking paul, about paul jonathan is the name yeah paul jonathan Ooh, uh, that sounds good i'll have to i'll have to send you a link because i can't remember what is if his Substack has like a title <laughs> or something sorry my son's beating yeah. us right now <laughs> just the listening. like ideology less like uh, just interesting shit is all I can really I'm into people who like stuff and just talking about what they like mm-hmm. and uh, or, or doing weird experimental shit but the yeah. people who are like so actually COVID is blah 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 I'm like I, man yeah, I, don't, I don't care I don't give I don't a fuck care. I'm so past I'm even, that right now I'm like you're, you're either little, go ahead I've gotten a little bored of Byron Crawford lately too yeah, Byron Crawford used to be the GOAT, but I, he's kind of, like, run out of things to talk about. I mean, he's he's really funny, but it feels like... Okay, here's the thing. So, as far as Substacks go, I subscribe to Angelicism 01, uh, Safety Propaganda, and then I do... Uh, what else? Oh, Freddie DeBoer I did for a while, uh, and I'm still subscribed, because, like, I don't really unsubscribe from any of these Substacks. But, like, Freddie DeBoer is interesting to me because that guy got, like, mega canceled because he had some sort of psychotic episode and started, I don't know, accusing his friends of trying to kill him or something. I can't remember the exact story. But, like, he got super canceled. He can't get hired anywhere, but he's making uh, bank on Substack with the, the $5 a month paid subscription, right? So that's that's his gig now. I think Substack actually hired him. It was, like, him, Barry Weiss, and a few other people. Anyway. He's a left dude, but you know, he's like the ultimate equivocator and you can just tell like in his writing style, which is clear and concise and interesting, uh, you can tell that being canceled really like cut his nuts off completely. And we were talking about this the other day, like when you get canceled, it feels like you can go one way or the other way, which is why I think, I thank God every day that I found the Perfume Nationalist. Uh, which gave me just like a vision um, of what of what could be, right? Because it's just a show about people who who like things. They said that on the last episode that they recorded. Um, 
and that I think is what makes it a real kind of breath of fresh air um, because the alternative if you're on the left and you get canceled and then you want to still be a part of that ideological world you become a eunuch who has to constantly equivocate and apologize and be like well, I'm just I'm not saying I'm just saying hey everybody let's be reasonable and it's really kind of it's really kind of sad some of the people that we know who used to be fucking you know edgy and interesting uh, have just really capitulated after being canceled to to this like kind of simpering uh, uh, dog bowl life where they're just waiting like the fucking limbless creature in the burlap sack and audition to be to be fed from mommy's bowl uh, yeah. Sad. Sad. Yeah, couldn't. Couldn't be me. Couldn't, couldn't be, me. be me. Couldn't and be you, me. You you can't you can't have a fear of being yourself equivocated with something because of uh, your behavior or whatever. Like, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I could I could be canceled by people on the left or the right, and I don't give a fuck. Like, I'm not yeah, gonna be like, oh, I'm I'm sorry. Let me let me back into the club, guys. Like, oh yeah. shit. You can I still can I still you press can... the publish button on Amazon? Then, then I'm not canceled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and even when I can't, because Amazon will, you know, does have a habit of taking shit down. Like, mm-hmm. I'll go get that shit printed. Like, yeah, yeah, because because those people the only place with a printer. Yeah, because Book Depot and shit like that, they are hurting for money, so they'll they'll print anything. You could print something that was called like. You know, COVID is fake, and uh, what else? COVID is fake, and the Holocaust. Uh, and oh, it's like just like you know, six million question mark. The similarities between the Holocaust and COVID. You could take that title, <laughs> and Book Depot would be like, "Do you need that in matte or gloss? Uh, how many are we, t- are we talking bulk here? What do we got to do?" <laughs> and and you could write it under the pseudonym White Jesus. Yeah. They would not care. There, there is no line for them, because they are struggling. So yeah, man. I mean, like, you can't. Uh, what are you gonna? Literally, like, what, what can you, what can you do? I guess at a certain point. I mean, I always take solace in the fact that even if I got my livelihood taken away from me, every gas station that I pass has hiring signs, and if I had to do it, I would just do it. You know, oh, I mean, it's I'm so not gonna starve. Easy. Yeah. No, this is a throwback to episode two where I was like, I can say whatever the fuck I want. Like, I'm the perfect, I'm perfect for a podcasting platform because I'm a blue collared, like, I'm going to potentially meet with like the, the biggest like hookup I've ever had in terms of work this Thursday. And, uh, I'm ready to start making it rain come springtime people get their like returns and shit and they're ready to spend money and shit well dude i'm I'm going to meet with i might not even i mean i'm gonna have more immediate work so yeah no nobody gives a fuck what i say on this show that has any like effect on my income yeah i just i just think that you know we are also at a point where we don't have the kind of influence that we're like worth wasting time on you know what i mean and that's kind of a nice position to be in i mean who really what would you gain 
I mean, people did cancel me. They spent a good week, but I think that's just because that was like years and years of them being frustrated with me because I'm always right and I'm really smug about it. And so they've just been like waiting to get me, you know? Um, but like after that, to, to what end? Cancel me to what end? Why? Like <laughs> nobody, nobody cares what I have to say. But you start to see it, you know, it's really funny actually, speaking of the perfect nationalist, you see it with like Jack uh, recently because obviously their podcast is doing well and he's kind of moving on. And I've noticed like in his Twitter threads, like the nastiest fucking haters have come out, right? So it's, it's once you start climbing a little bit, that's when people mm-hmm. will actually get mad. We're in this beautiful place right now, uh, and hopefully we, you know, we rise above it eventually. We're in this beautiful place where nobody gives a shit what either of us say. Except for whoever made that random one-day website of just hating on me. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they were mad at you for using the N-word in your books or something. And then they recommended other books where I say the N-word. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. That was my really? only comment on it. I screenshotted it and put on Twitter. I was like, I say nigga on more pages than that, motherfucker. Like, get get the facts right. Yeah. And, and then this it is got so taken down. <laughs> yeah, but this, this is so interesting, though. Like, especially this N-word thing is really interesting to me, right? Because it's so fascinating to me that you, like, in real life associate with more black people than white people right so it's it's this whole thing of like how you mentioned that you're a carpenter and you get work and nobody cares what you say online and your friends don't care what you say so you'll you'll say it anyway but i think it's beautiful to just straight up not like who gives a fuck if like the internet's mad at you nobody in your real life is mad at you as far as i can tell right now no no I've never said anything. The only time, like, anybody has ever... I was going on something, or I, I was telling a friend that I was invited on... Man, I can't remember what I was going on, but they were like, uh... No, it must not have been that big. I'm like, what the fuck was I talking about? But uh, they were like, all right, bro, don't say the N-word. <laughs> I was like, right. oh, I, oh, I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to shout you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you know, I don't know. It's it's all very silly. But, like, th- th- this is a perfect example. The reason why I keep coming back to it is, like, there is a post... Uh, there is a post-conflict life for, for artists, you know, that isn't just obscurity and it isn't uh, becoming reactionary one way or the other. You don't have to cut your balls off and you don't have to, like, put on jackboots either. You just kind of... Uh, I don't know. You just kind of like keep, keep it moving, and and you you make this distinction where it's like we're living in a Philip K. Dick novel, of like having to separate reality from the Matrix or something, you know. And yeah, you really are yeah. in this post fucking, this post singularity world where where people legitimately now have to be non-schizophrenic people have to be reminded of what reality actually is on an almost daily basis touch grass is an annoying libtard fucking phrase that they use on twitter all the time but it's also fucking important like that's not real and i'm not interested in the you know the ontological discussion of what is and isn't real we just know that that's not it 
Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sick and tired of irony because that, like, this whole touch grass thing is an ironic, uh, annoying libtard thing because it's like people who are online, it, you see everything they're they're tweeting and it's like two minutes ago, one minute ago, thirty-seven seconds ago, four minutes ago. It's like, Jesus Christ, you're telling people to touch grass. You're like. I get you can be on Twitter on your phone, but you're definitely not like interacting with the world by being replying to all this shit. And that's the reason mm-hmm. I'm not a reactionary online. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I well, for one, I genuinely don't give a fuck, and two, I'm not trying to be like I don't have time to be some uh, clout edge lord or whatever. Like, no. If I, because I know if I which was which we could talking, be, by the way, you could we we both we know how to push the buttons. We I could would just push have those to buttons. talk how I talk in real life online. Yeah. And but I don't got time to deal with all that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I know exactly what I could like if I I was listening to uh, Cernovich talk about culture jamming on TPN, and he was you know he's he talks about how he does these posts that he knows will rile people up and this has been a tale as old as time since like ryan holiday wrote uh trust me i'm lying about uh trading up the chain where he basically promoted the tucker max movie by uh making a a billboard for the movie and then defacing it himself and blaming it on feminists and sending that to like jezebel and shit and then they did the work for him of promoting the dog shit tucker max movie right like we know what would get engagement, right? I could say COVID is fake. I could talk shit on famous writers. Uh, I could make fun of BLM. You do all these things. But, like, at the end of the day, I know that I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. And I know that I'd be on that phone. Like, I, I compare um, a lot of what severely online people do to the whack-a-mole game where people who are overly concerned with like you know hunting down libs or the fash or whatever it's like a game of whack-a-mole because it it never ends right and all you're doing is just like a baby at the zoo pointing at a panda bear you're just like there's one there's one there's one there's one and then before you know it your day is done and you haven't done shit yeah yeah no i'm like uh i'm like sid in toy story Remember when he's playing that whack-a-mole game and he jumps up on the machine and puts his shoes over all the holes and then like s- just keeps smashing them as hard as he can? So, like that's me. I'm like, no, yeah. y'all motherfuckers gonna stay in there. Yep. And then I'm gonna go play something else. Yeah. Especially now, like, because w- we're gonna go into a war uh, with Russia or China or both. Because um, like the war cycle is heating up. I don't know if you got that Rune Soup notification. But I tend to, to trust what they what they say, and they're like, you know, hey, things are things are heating up in the world, according to Martin Armstrong and his Socrates AI. And I'm like, it's you know, it's a good time to just lay low and make shit, um, which I'm fucking stoked about. I'm like finishing up this book, and I'm at this point where I'm about to send it to like you and a few other people. Because that's the only editing that I do. I just send it to people who already like my writing so that they can tell me it's good and then I release it. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, I'm, I'm, like, right... And it's, like, it's not... It's not what I had in my head because these things never really are. But I'm, like, I, I got to stick to the... I got to stick to the plan, right? Which is, like, just put that shit out. Because, like, who knows? Maybe that'll be somebody's favorite book. 
can never tell. Yeah, yeah, the shit is like, you can always keep trying. The shit comes in waves. It ebbs and flows. And like, when it's not exactly... I, when I get too in my own head, I just look up a bunch of interviews with like the people that have inspired me the most. And they're, they don't really have that much connection to their art. They make right. it and they move on. Yeah. And uh, like when Mike, I ran across a Mike interview where he was like, no, I don't watch my old films unless they're at like a festival or something. And then when I do catch them, I'm always shocked by how terrible they are. They're just terribly violent and I'm just, oh my god like and and uh and the I kind of I kind of believe him I kind of believe that but go on yeah the the interview was like but your your new film is also very violent and he was like well yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's just like <laughs> man that's great no that's awesome and you know and it, with this book it's kind of like there are some passages in this book that are fucking just bangers and my whole writing strategy is to facilitate those banger paragraphs, right? And, you know, just create a structure around them where the stuff that's not, uh, that isn't that heat is just like solid and passable. You know what I mean? Just like an infrastructure around it. And like not trying to have every single page be like this devastating death blow but to be like, okay, I got this 12,000 word book, about 2,000 of these words are fucking fire. And the rest of it is kind of like scaffolding that has that has some interesting shit in it. And like, I just feel like that's really, that's just reasonable, you know? I mean, that's, that's just kind of what we should all be, all be going for, in a way. Well, that that's what maximalist minimalism is. Is like, if you, you you're, uh, putting like this this small painting on an enormous canvas where it's like the the white space is functioning to highlight what you put in the center of it or over on the the corner of it or whatever mm-hmm. and it's like the yeah and, and that that's the kind of shit that like um that I find myself reading and watching anyways as the shit that's real sloppy and then has like moments of like holy shit that was crazy yeah, I'm oh. trying to think of movies that I thought were just like really good front to back, and I I usually don't revisit them. That's not always true. I think No Country for Old Men is a perfect movie. And I think I've watched that a dozen times. Uh, I thought Midsummer was pretty close to perfect, um, but I've only I've watched that twice, and I, I don't feel compelled to like watch it again. Um, but I'll go back and like. You know, Miike, who will have a movie that is an hour and a half, and a lot of it is like ponderous and kind of you know weird and nonsensical or whatever. But it has like these moments of gold. Those are the ones that I go back to. So who yeah. who knows, man? Who, who I knows? have I have not stopped thinking about Shinjuku Triad Society I know, since dude, we last me watched too. it. I know. And like I was thinking today about how great of an actor uh, Tetsuo, by the way, like the dude who plays. Uh, uh, whatever you call him the main dude in Tetsuo that's um that's Wang no way really yeah oh wow so he's not even Chinese yeah no 
He's just pretending to be Chinese. Oh, is that uh, like a to- Tomaro Takaguchi or something like that? Yeah. That yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. By the way, badass name. His name is basically like Tomorrow. Yeah. I don't know what it means in Japanese, but like, it's a pretty cool name. Oh. Uh, but yeah, he was great in that movie. And right. it's not really like. You know, it, it's not a. a and it wouldn't be anyways because it's Japanese, but, you know, it's not like an Oscar movie or whatever. Yeah. He's just fucking great. It's not even like a Michael Mann-style movie. It's no. like... It's sloppy. Yeah. <laughs> but... It's it's real yeah, sloppy, that's... and it's like... If the medium is the message, though, uh, there's, there's a... Me- like, the medium of, like, the perfect uh, A24 clean beautiful film like that medium is smoothness and ease and uh you know palatability but like when you have a movie like Takashi Miike's which are imperfect and sloppy and there's like nuggets of gold in it the medium of that is evocative of the artistic struggle to pull gold from shit you know what I mean so like Mm -hmm. you're actually seeing on screen in real time a human being uh, doing his best to keep a ship from sinking and that to me is compelling like train wrecks like that are, are more compelling than than somebody who just like I mean what's interesting about you know getting on an airplane and having a non-turbulence flight and then landing and then getting off right it's nothing you just everybody did their job correctly and it's fine but if you got onto like a Cessna that was held together with duct tape and chewing gum. <laughs> That's that gets interesting. Yeah, yeah. Or or you ride the bus with no like antagonistic crackheads. Like you just yeah. Right. Just know. a smooth Yaw. bucket. Yeah, a smooth Amtrak ride, right? Yeah. Like just yawning my way from point A to point B. Yeah, and it's beautiful. The scenery that you pass might be nice. You might see a couple of interesting things, but overall, it's unremarkable. But yeah, there's something. Yeah, there is something about like that pulling gold from shit this kid is just like doing like a craziest temper tantrum what's your deal bro what's up you want to take a nap you try to take a nap he says no are you trying to take a nap (sighs) maybe maybe I don't know You might need to go back to bed. It might be nappy time, but I did. I had to keep you awake through this podcast because I actually have work to do. When he, when he does nap, I gotta do more editing. That's just, it's just my life, I guess. It's just fixing people's books. That's what you know. What that's really funny, actually, is that like my books are, you know, I praise all this stuff like being unpolished and uh, you know chaotic and nonsensical. But my, my job is to actually make people's books the opposite. And it's this intellectual yeah. part of my brain that, like, knows knows what commercial is. And I'm really good at making books. Because, like, a high percentage of the books that I work on go on to be legitimately published. Uh, to, like, find agents and be published. So it's kind of funny that I know intellectually exactly how to do that. And I have no artistic interest in doing that whatsoever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's actually really easy to make a good book. Um, 
technically it's not easy for me to start like I've been trying to make something more commercial because I've gotten offers of you know help getting it out there or whatever and so I'm like all right I'm trying but like it's it's not naturally in me but the workings of it is easy it's kind of, it's kind of like uh I love getting asked to make like uh, a chess table like somebody gave me their tabletop and was like I want to play chess on this and then uh, uh, or or like um, just shit like that They're like I want a closet with a secret safe room uh, just fun shit or Are you you know, shit where I get closet to with a mess safe with room? resin yeah that's tight yeah yeah it's pretty dope uh, I want I want to there's a lot of uh, secret drawer stuff I want to pitch to. Like when I find out someone's a gun nut, I'm like, ooh, bro, I could put some shit in your bed that like nobody yeah. else is gonna know is there. Where you can t- you can you tap can... the the side of the frame and a shotgun falls out or something. Exactly, exactly. So like that shit's fun, but everybody needs you know cabinets or whatever, and I'm just like, right. all right, yeah, I'll, I'll do your do your bathroom vanity. That's cool. Yeah. But, uh, but that's tight, though. I mean, like, that's that's just cool because you, you actually get to work with your hands and, you know, be, like, you also have a separation between all of this. Like, sometimes, like, the way that you live, I'm a little envious of because you have this clear distinction between your art and the art that you do for work. It's just two completely different mediums. Um, but, like, with me, it's all words all the time. Like if I'm working, it's fixing words. If I'm if I'm doing art, it's with words. I don't know. Maybe I need to learn how to draw or something. And just like pull a Sam Payne can do badass fucking like naked ladies or something. 